Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Sentience All That Matters, the show where we discuss everything vegan, whether you're an activist, whether you're vegan, whether you're a non-vegan and vegan curious, this is the place to come if you want to get yourself informed about how to make the right change. Well, episode six, eh? Wow, we've been around for a while now. Starting to get used to this. Hopefully you've found the shows useful and you've managed to learn a thing or two about what happens in the animal agriculture industry and why people turn to veganism. So on this week's show, we're gonna get a little bit topical and we're gonna discuss the end of the grace period for free range with the increase and influx of bird flu in the UK and the farmers having to put all of the birds into sheds, they are no longer allowed to call their products free range. So we're gonna touch base on what that means for you as a consumer and what it means for the animals and go into a little bit into the legislation surrounding it. As usual, we will feature this week's animal rights hero, highlighting the wonderful work of another person in the animal rights environment. And to tie in with the end of free range, we will discuss the life of a factory farmed chicken and an egg laying hen. And lastly, after another midnight raid by the vegan police on an animal rights activist, we will discuss further what makes you vegan enough or not vegan enough? And is there really this arbitrary line that you're either one side of or the other? We'll get into all of that after this. And right, I heard a dark voice beside of me, and I looked round in a state of fright. I saw four faces, one man, a brother from the gutter. They looked me up and down a bit and turned to each other. I said you got to 
So as you'll know if you listen to last week's show, to be classed as free range, certain criteria has to be met by the farmer and this classification has been removed now due to avian influenza, meaning that all birds have to be stored indoors. So what does that mean in real terms? And what is avian influenza? Well, we first got introduced to avian influenza in 1997 when it spread through live poultry markets in Hong Kong. This is the first time it infected people and resulted in six deaths. Now, until fairly recently, bird flu was harmless to humans and to the birds. However, when we started taking birds to market, the virus was able to mutate into a new strain 
that would spread more easily in the faeces and secretions of the birds. Large-scale factory farming now provides the perfect environment for mutating viruses, closed, dimly lit, crowded, stressful and unsanitary conditions allow for perfect breeding ground. And if you've ever seen any of the many videos online showing just how bad the conditions that chickens are kept in when there's 30 to 40,000 in a single shed, then it'll be become patently clear to you where this is coming from. So why are the governments taking it so seriously now? Well, although it is relatively difficult to catch, there have now been several reports of human to human infection of the avian influenza. And if it mutates further, becoming as easy to catch as a common cold virus, we could obviously be in seriously deep water. Since the 1st of October 2022, the UK has seen 147 cases in England, 21 cases in Scotland, five cases in Wales and one case in Northern Ireland. Bird flu is spread by close contact with an infected bird, either dead or alive. This includes touching infected birds, touching their droppings or their bedding, killing or preparing infected poultry for cooking. So really, every kind of way that you can possibly interact with these birds could lead to the virus spreading. And as a quick visit to the NHS website will tell you, there is currently no vaccination available for bird flu. For comparable context, let's go back to the heady days of COVID-19 when we were all locked down and the race was on to find the vaccination. So we could all rush back to some semblance of our previous lifestyle. It would seem that we have a complete inability to learn from previous history as COVID-19 also an animal-based virus coming from the containment, handling and slaughter of animals. One report by Sky News shows that North America alone has seen a 600% increase in infections over just a three-month period. Frightening. In an attempt to curb the spread, over 50 million birds have been culled in Europe already this year and a similar amount in North America alone. And with a single piece of faeces from an infected bird containing more than 100,000 particles of virus, conservationists are now acutely aware of the risk now posed to wildlife. Should the virus jump to wildlife, it's game over. And this is why all farmed birds 
have been kept indoors. We know without a doubt this disease came out of intensive poultry production. So now we know where avian influenza came from and the devastating effect it's having on the animals themselves and to us as human beings what effect is it having on British farming? Well, farms that test positive for AI will be ordered to carry out mass culling of birds on site. The farms will only receive government compensation for birds they can prove were showing no signs or symptoms of the disease at the time of culling and they will only receive the value of the birds at the time of culling. Secondary to this now, any healthy birds being sold as free range previously will no longer be allowed to be labelled as free range as their conditions no longer meet the criteria for qualification as free-ranged products. This means the farm gate price or the price these supermarkets will pay for the birds will no longer be at the increased rate they had previously received. From the 1st of February, Norfolk, Suffolk and parts of Essex were removed from the free range. On the 27th of February, the rest of England will be removed and the 24th of March, we'll see all of Wales having their free range status removed. Now, obviously, a large amount of the birds that have been sold prior to these dates were already in containment. So basically, you have been paying free range prices for birds that are effectively not free range. So what's the connection here with veganism? Well, if you haven't already worked it out from what you've just heard, once again, the breeding, containment, slaughter and consumption of animals for food by human beings has yet again proved to be the most harmful thing to the animals the environment and to our own existence. We consistently fail to see that this entirely unnecessary process is destroying our environment, our own bodies and animals' lives. And for what? For a taste sensation and a tradition that can be emulated by eating a plant-based whole food diet. The inane stupidity of carrying on these practices in the name of tradition and culture leaves me speechless. And with the deepest of respect, I'm not referring to those of you that are open-minded enough to look at the information and make an informed decision. I'm referring to people that have all the information, understand the destruction and devastation that is being caused and decide to still continue on this path.
So before we leave the subject of bird flu, as always, do your own research. Don't believe a word I'm saying. You can go on to the NHS website, nhs.uk, and get your information on bird flu from there. You can go to the National Farmers Union website, nfuonline.com, for information on how this affects the farms. And you can go on to, obviously, various other government websites for non-biased information. Peter and Viva also have intensive documents on this subject, so feel free to Google away and get the information firsthand. Just don't bury your head in the sand. Okay, so moving on to our animal rights heroes this week. And this week, I'm going to introduce you to one of the most wonderful couples you could possibly want to meet in the movement. The work that they do is absolutely astounding, and I am privileged to know them. And I'm happy to say that these people are mentors for me and their example I can only hope to live up to. I am of course talking about Joe and Dave at the retreat in Kent who have been kind enough to send me their story which I'm going to read to you now and hopefully do justice. So, I come from a farming background. Jo has been around horses all her life. When we met, Jo had just come back from a Ugandan trip to see mountain gorillas. We spent a lot of our time supporting Monkey World in Dorset, probably around six years. They are mainly focused on primates and unfortunately serve the usual animal products in their cafes. So we kind of fell out of love with it. We had a dream of buying some land and rescuing who we could. We then discovered the retreat and started visiting for the day. Then for a long weekend and then for a week at a time. After Monkey World, we were just doing our jobs as maintenance where we did mostly gardening while taking the camper on a Friday for a weekend at the retreat. We didn't really have any friends as everyone thought we were strange as we wanted to live a cruelty-free life. We were lonely and only felt comfortable when we came to the retreat and were around like-minded people. It was hard living in the Surrey Hills as we were constantly around the farm animals on our regular dog walks and met many gorgeous sheep and cows in the fields. We worked for a lady who we still keep in touch with who had been vegan for many years. Her first husband left when she put animals before her taste buds. We mowed her lawn every two weeks, leaving the wildlife to most of the garden, but doing as much as possible to show she could maintain her home. She became our mentor and inspiration to try and change the world. With her guidance, we became stronger and realized that we could make a difference. On Mondays, we would be in a boring gardening job with a field of the most beautiful cows next door, knowing that they were meat stock. It was heartbreaking and frustrating. During the lockdown, we considered our lifestyle as we were only too aware 
that time is short and we only had one shot at life. We moved to the retreat in our camper where Dave would build us a barn and we could live on site. Before the barn was finished, we had somehow managed to gain a dog and then a pig until we eventually had eight pigs, 10 turkeys and our dog intake was rising. We started with the oldies, giving them a comfortable, well-deserved end of life and we somehow managed to befriend a dog rescue in Bulgaria where there were large dogs that couldn't find homes. We adopted a couple, including a disabled dog, and it basically didn't stop. We have 10 dogs currently, with two more hoping to join our family pack next month. We will always find room for the dogs and any other animal in need. It is our ever-growing family. We are blessed to live on the retreat where we can help rescued animals who are going to be put out with the rubbish massive thank you guys for sharing your story hopefully that inspires you and shows you that when people make the connection anything is possible vegans and animal rights activists don't come from a small fringe percentage of the population they are normal people like you and I we simply make the connection we simply have a reason to make the change we get informed, we find out what's true in our hearts and our minds and we align our actions with our beliefs. Becoming vegan and caring for animals is not the huge leap that you think it's going to be. And you've just heard another example of genuinely wonderful, caring people making life-changing decisions for the greater good.
Earlier we discussed the rise of avian flu globally and the connection to factory farming. So let's touch base on broiler chickens and egg laying hens. So the life of a broiler or meat chicken is a short and brutal one. From birth to death in just six to seven weeks when they could live five to eight years. Selectively bred to gain weight quickly, most will never see the light of day until they are packed into a lorry to be sent to slaughter. Their bodies will be hugely oversized due to the selective breeding in order to give the farmer as much profit as possible. The average 42 day lifespan is spent inside a disgusting metal shed with 40,000 other birds all standing around in their own feces and urine. The ammonia from which causes flesh burns and leaves them with bare patches around their bodies. Due to the excessive weight and underdeveloped bones being unable to support them, they will drag themselves around the floor of the shed. Due to injuries, some of these birds will be unable to reach the food and water points and will die from starvation and dehydration. They will also be cannibalized by some of the other birds in the shed. In the UK, there are approximately 120 million broiler chickens alive at any given time. Once these poor birds reach slaughter weight, they will be thrown into crates, put on a lorry and transported to the slaughterhouse the first time they will ever see daylight. These vehicles are notoriously open-sided trucks, leaving the birds completely exposed to whatever weather conditions they are being transported in. Once at the slaughterhouse, broiler chickens are killed for meat in one of two ways, either by gassing or electrical stunning and having their throats slit. Gassing is now used for approximately 70% of all poultry slaughtering. During the gassing process, the inhalation of carbon dioxide causes distress to the birds as they gasp to stay alive. The electrical stunning and throat cutting involves hanging live birds upside down by their legs on metal shackles and moving them along a conveyor belt towards an electrified water bath. This stuns the birds before they move to the mechanical neck cutter that severs the major blood vessels in their necks. Unfortunately, due to the th high throughput in slaughterhouses, which have line speeds of up to 10,000 birds an hour, some birds are not effectively stunned, some birds do not have their throats slit correctly, and this can lead to 
birds being fully or partially conscious when they enter the scalding tanks to loosen their feathers. Essentially, these poor animals are boiled alive and fully conscious. And all of this, a completely unnecessary process when there is a perfectly suitable plant-based alternative for the nutrients you gain by eating chicken breast. Added to this, the obvious massive welfare issues created by the process, reinforcing that it's time to leave this practice in the past where it belongs. Moving on to egg-laying hens. Now eggs are often seen as being the least harmful of animal products. However, the amount of suffering caused to chickens in the egg industry is at least equal to any other. One of the worst examples of global animal exploitation you can mention. Born in hatcheries without ever knowing their mothers, a hen is forced to live most of her life indoors in a crowded shed laying 20 to 50 times the number of eggs she would do naturally. Wild hens will only lay 10 to 15 eggs in a whole year. Modern day factory farmed hens are selectively bred for the increased egg production profit. These harmless sentient beings are abused to produce 72 million eggs a week to give the farming industry over one billion pounds of profit every single year. One little known fact about the egg industry is that all male chicks are seen as a waste or byproduct of the industry. Male chicks are typically killed within 24 hours of being born, either by suffocation after being tied up in a bag, or put into a commercial style blender where they are blended up and the paste is sold to pet food manufacturers. This is classed as poultry by meal and is deemed as not fit for human consumption. The majority of the world's egg laying hens are kept in battery cages where the hen will have the equivalent size of an A4 piece of paper to live their entire lives. In the UK, the hens have what's called enriched cages. However, this still only gives them the extra size of a postcard to live on, as well as the A4 size. And although these hens will now have nesting boxes, perches, litter areas and scratch pads, they will still live under controlled artificial lighting, denied fresh air and sunshine. They will also spend a significant proportion of their time standing on sloping wire mesh floors with little room to move around. In any case, aggressive territorial hens guarding enrichments may mean many hens never get access to these enrichment areas. The free range status designed to 
allow the birds to have a better standard of living sadly fall short. The code of practice that states hens must have continuous daytime access to runs, which are mainly covered with vegetation, is meaningless. Hens can be fiercely territorial and will guard the exit holes to these areas. Also the sheer number of birds in the shed, coupled with dominant guarding of the exits, means that a significant percentage of hens will never go outside. One study revealed that on average, only 9% of hens went outside at all. The free range label is to make you feel better as a consumer because it certainly does nothing to make the animal feel better. Birds crammed together in wire mesh cages causes frustration and boredom and coupled with the lack of space the birds will attack each other. In order to protect the farmer's profits hens will often be de-beaked. The procedure involves the partial removal of the top of a hen's beak which is performed without anesthesia Whilst in the past this was done with a red-hot blade, causing the hen intense pain, it is now carried out with an infrared beam whilst the chick is still in the hatchery. The beak itself, highly sensitive, rich in blood vessels and full of nerve endings, obviously leads to pain for the bird. Once the egg production of the hen reaches a point where it's no longer profitable for the farmer. Just like broilers, the egg-laying hens will be sent to slaughterhouses with over 800,000 hens slaughtered every year in the UK, 92% of which are gassed to death. This process itself can take two and a half minutes of the hen gasping for air before finally succumbing to the gas. The meat from egg laying hens is seen as inferior quality. Around 40% goes to wholesale traders, mainly used as pet food, and some 56% is frozen and exported to EU and non-EU countries. So next time you're abroad on that all-inclusive holiday package, that chicken you're eating may possibly have come from a British egg-laying hen. And those statistics, by the way, are directly from the DEFRA website. So there we have it, the secrets of the chicken and egg industry. Remember, if you're vegetarian for ethical reasons and you no longer consume meat because of what happens to the animals in the meat industry the egg industry is just as bad in 2023 there are plenty of delicious alternatives to chicken and eggs simply go on to challenge22.com and there you will find a full breakdown of 
the available alternatives, as well as nutritional guidelines and multiple recipes for delicious alternative meals. We'll be back right after this.
Our final discussion for this week is an issue that has reared its ugly head again in the movement and has become more and more prevalent over the last six months or so and has unfortunately led to a number of great activists no longer being active in the movement and further activists now doing minimal interactions for the animals. I'm of course referring to the vegan police, those amongst the community that deem themselves in a position to judge and comment on other activists' outreach styles, how many interactions they have and what kind of work they're doing and decide the arbitrary line between them being vegan enough and not being vegan enough. Yes, as hard as it is to believe, there are vegan activists within the movement that berate and belittle other vegan activists. Now the point of this section is not to name names and to call out people on their behaviour. The point of this section is to try and get across to everyone the simple understanding that we are a small enough community as it is. And by trying to destroy the community from within, the only thing we are doing is destroying the animal's chances of being recognised for who they are and therefore continuing the ongoing exploitation of these sentient beings that we're actually trying to protect in the first place. Now personally, I don't care whether you're simply advocating for animal rights at a bus stop while you're waiting for a bus, or whether you're spending a thousand pounds on equipment, food and facilities to put up a large organised event. Any outreach and any advocating for the animals is valid in my opinion. Everybody has a different style and everybody has a different idea of what works best. Different ideas and different perceptions do not give other people the right to berate and belittle other people's efforts. We are all in this together with one primary goal. What difference does it make the route that we take to that goal? There actually is very little data to show which is the most effective way of advocating. What data is available does clearly show that all aspects of outreach and activism together have put us where we are today. And the multiple varying styles, characteristics and personalities of the movement is what takes it forward. Not one monochromed approach and one style. Everybody's advocation is an expression of their own personality and their own free mind of what they perceive is the best way that they, as an individual, can advocate for the animals. Nobody else gets to tell anyone that they're right or they're wrong. 
and no one group or person owns the rights to the animal rights movement. And frankly, it is quite shocking that in a movement that is designed to advocate kindness first, that seems to be patently missing when some people have conversations within their own groups. Now, if any of this resonates for you personally and you have found yourself committing to less and less activism because you want to avoid situations occurring, firstly, on behalf of the majority of the movement, I would apologise for the way you have been treated and the interactions that you have experienced. I would like to tell you that this is not normal and that the majority of animal rights activists are kind and caring and would be honoured to have you at their outreach events. And secondly, I would ask you to pause, take a breath and have a think about the reasons why you got into activism in the first place, which firstly will always be for the animals. Secondarily, you no doubt would have wanted to be part of a community of like-minded people. Now, as we discussed in another show recently, you must find your tribe because your tribe dictates your vibe. And what we mean by that is you must find the group of activists that you are comfortable being around and the group of activists that are on the same page as you. And just because currently you may be in a group that just doesn't fit with you, that doesn't mean that the entire movement doesn't fit for you. There are some beautiful souls in this movement that will help you grow and develop your activism. They will teach you all you need to know about interacting and becoming the advocate that you want to be. Please don't ever let anybody tell you what you're doing is not good enough. It is. Please remember that when people behave in this way, it is normally an issue internalized within themselves. They are projecting onto you. And in most cases, it has nothing to do with your work as an activist and more likely to be a case of them unable to deal with their own issues. Now, if you are having issues in this area, one way to get help is to pop onto Facebook. There are multiple groups online for vegans and animal rights activists to dive into, to have discussions with. And one particular group that comes to mind is Vuforia Positivity Group for Vegans, run by the wonderful Cecilia. This group you will find positivity only, coming from multiple vegans and multiple vegan activists. Now what happens when you enter groups like this is that the positivity and the kindness that is shared counteracts the negativity that has been plaguing you within the community. This allows you to see those bad interactions for what they are and to have the ability to feel supported and continue your work within the movement. And of course, I'm more than happy 
to have a direct conversation with you, simply reach out. You can email us, sentienceatm at gmail.com or go onto Facebook and direct message the group and I will get back in touch with you. So moving on, just a quick reminder for you that the second national dairy outreach by Viva is happening on the 11th of March. So please go online and look up the nearest one to you, pop along and give the group some support. That's the true Costa Dairy being held outside Costa venues nationwide. And on that broccoli bombshell, we're out of time again. Until next week, this one's especially for you. I did my best to notice When the call came down the line Up to the platform of surrender I was brought but I was kind And sometimes I get nervous When I see an open door Close your eyes, clear your heart Cut the cord Are we human? Or are we dancers? My sign is vital My hands are cold And I'm on my knees Looking for the answer Are we human? Or are we dancers? Gotta let me know